Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of a financial advisor and an experienced certified financial planner. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic events, analyze and debate highlighted stocks, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Engelkev. All right, Bill, uh, do we have some good news finally about the markets? We actually do. Uh, <laughs> the first time since I think we've been doing this podcast solo. Um, over the last week, the market's up about 4%, about 1,000 points. Uh, Monday and Tuesday were awesome. Uh, the market uh, rose almost 5% uh, before giving some back. Not a lot, but yeah, finally some good news. Hopefully that momentum continues into the fourth quarter and I don't think we'll get back to uh, break even for the year, but if we could chip away at some of these losses, that would be pretty awesome. So, yeah, good good five days so far. Yeah, and what we're hearing a lot in, in the news is re- relief rally versus is this the start of the bull market? Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you educate our listeners thinking when everybody's talking, oh, this is just relief, re- relief rally, then other people are like, no, no, this is actually the start of the bull market. I don't really care. As long as it's going up, they can call it whatever they want. Uh, I'm going to say the bottom's in for the year. I, I think we've touched the bottom. Uh, I don't know if it's the start of the new bull market, but I do know trying to time it is impossible. And we always encourage people to stick to their goals. But it just feels like there's a little bit of a, of a sustained rebound. So ho- hopefully it will continue. I, I would certainly welcome it. Yeah, it feels like. Anybody that wanted to sell has sold. There's not really anybody left to sell. Um, is that really what a relief rally is? Is is there's just been a sustained downtrend? So there has to be some uptick because nobody's selling again, or what? What really is it? Yeah, for the most part, it's it's you know the sellers are done selling. Uh, people are out, um, and just in the near term, uh, they're oversold mm-hmm. and they get too cheap, and so people come in and pick them up and ride the wave for a little bit and and then they'll probably sell. That's why you have that volatility yeah. is because uh, sellers will drive it down. They'll get out, they'll panic. Uh, buyers will come in, look for bargains, they'll run it up. And then after they've made a few dollars, they'll sell and back, uh, back come the sellers and down and go again. But yeah, that's a relief rally is, is, is short term in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, it it it, uh, it could turn into something lasting, but um, we'll see. But in the meantime, I'll take it. <laughs> That's kind of the biggest you see disparity that, that we could witness in the fourth quarter is this little uptick, and everybody comes and buys again. But then another massive exodus of selling might occur. Yeah, but. Seasonally, October to April is usually the best time in the market. That's where most of the money's made, and hopefully that'll be the case this year. Let's hope so. Okay, perfect. Well, let's move into our empowering education, and this week we're going to be talking about diversification. So what is it? Uh, Why do we recommend it? Why do we do it? Yeah, well, diversification... Short answer is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to spread that money around between stocks and bonds and fund or stocks and bonds and cash. 
to um, take advantage of different markets at different times. And it said it's the only free lunch on Wall Street. Uh, and historically, diversification has treated investors well. Uh, this year, it's not working because every major asset class is down. Uh, when fear is high, when people are nervous, uh, they say correlation goes to one, meaning all asset classes trade together. Stocks, bonds, cash, large companies, small companies, U.S. companies, international companies. And that's that's what's happening this year is uh, everything is down. Uh, historically, uh, stocks and bonds, especially treasuries, are negatively correlated. So when stocks rise, bonds fall. When stocks fall, bonds rise. And in previous corrections, uh, if you were losing money in the stock market, you were probably making it back in the bond market. But not this year because uh, stocks and bonds are both down 10%. And you know, to continue with the definition a bit further, it's, it's like going to a restaurant. You know, A concentrated portfolio would be ordering a steak, mm-hmm. and that's it. Nothing else. Uh, diversification is ordering a steak, getting a potato, and adding some asparagus. Uh, you diversified your meal. Mm. So it's not the same thing. But uh, basically, it's just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah. I like the analogy just because I'm a fantasy football guy, and I'm sure our listeners that are will understand this. Diversification is making sure you have players on different teams. Um, like you could have all your players be the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So you could have Patrick Mahomes. Cladris, Ellis Allaire, Juju Smith-Susher, Travis Kelsey. And when the Chiefs are rolling, you're going to be scoring over 100 points. But when the Chiefs struggle, such as they did two weeks, and I have three of those players, uh, you're going to lose your Hmm. matchup. So it's just that idea of you're never going to be the best performer, but you're also never going to be the worst, which kind of leads us into this phrase that we hear a lot of when it comes to diversification is diversification. Mm. Uh, why, why do people, why was that popular in, in the mid 2000s? Why do people talk about it today? Yeah. Warren Buffett actually coined that term and it's basically saying people who don't know what they're doing, diversify their mm. assets. And, and I get it. Uh, Cause if you want to create Uber wealth, you want to concentrate all of your bets into one thing. And if it pays off, you're going to make a lot of money. If it doesn't pay off, well, you're not kind of like your Kansas City Chiefs analogy. You know, if your Chiefs are doing well, you're rocking. If they're not, you're in the poorhouse. So concentration is considered a wealth creation and diversification is considered a wealth preservation. But Warren Buffett said that, you know, basically, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, diversify your assets and I'm not going to argue with Warren Buffett, of course, (laughs) uh, but I think for most people um, trying to find that one investment or those few investments that are going to make you insanely rich over the years is is almost impossible. And and it's almost by luck, like you ended up at the right company, uh, the right time. And and so on. I think of you know where we live in Austin in, in the early or the late eighties and early nineties. If you were working for Dell Computer, you're a millionaire. Yeah, but you just had to show up at work and uh, work hard and do your thing. But the fact that you worked at Dell, you made you know millions and millions of dollars. You know, if you worked at another company, um, AT and T, for example, you're not a millionaire uh, for the most part. So. Uh, 
diverse diversification again according to Warren Buffett is just like hey these guys don't know what they're doing and they're spreading their wealth around but I think for most people diversification is is probably the most prudent thing they can do with their money so what what do you say to those people who look at their returns and they're like the market is doing better than me when it's in a bull market um and they want to chase those returns. And then it seems like in when the inverse is happening, people don't care how much they're down. They just care that they're down. So what, what are some words of advice for our investors right here that want to, when they see that performance, when they're a diversified portfolio, chase those returns of the market? Yeah, fear and greed drive the market. Uh, and you're right. This year, when investments are down, people just want to break even. Mm-hmm. They want to get out. They, they don't lose more money. When the market's up, 20, 30, 40%. They're like, how come I'm not up that much? And over time, you know, the market's given us about a 10% return. And we try to get clients to focus on their plan, their personal goals, and the return that works for them and not chase returns. Typically, when you chase returns, you get burned. Mm-hmm. You can go back and look at Bitcoin from last year. You could look at the meme stocks uh, from the COVID year. Uh, people that chase those returns now are probably down, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 80% or more. And typically when you're chasing returns, that asset class is very overvalued, very expensive. And so you're paying um, a lot for whatever that investment is. On the flip side of that, in a diversified portfolio, you probably have something that's down or losing money that no one wants. And if you buy that investment, probably in a year or two, it will recover and you'll you'll make some money. But very hard to chase returns. Um, they got to keep their emotions in check because if if greed takes over, um, they'll eventually lose it. Mm. Yeah. So talking about diversification, we always have to bring up international investments because they've been on the hot seat for the Do past Do 12 well. years, right? So people, <laughs> everybody says, why am I owning international stocks if if United States corporations continue to outperform them. Yes. And we've been having that conversation with a lot of clients uh, because it just it's it sticks out like a sore thumb. But if you look at the decade from 2000 to 2010, U.S. stocks were negative, had a negative return, the S&P 500, but international stocks made money. And if you had money in both markets, you probably came out okay. Uh, if you were concentrated in the U.S., you lost money. If you were diversified around the world, you made money. So that's just diversification 101. Sometimes asset classes are in favor. Sometimes they're out of favor. And uh, But international investments for a long time uh, were the best asset class. Uh, and that's a broad category because, yeah. you know, Europe, Asia, Latin America and so on. Uh, but if you go back 50 years, uh, one of the best performing asset classes is international small caps. Mm. It uh, basically destroyed U.S. large caps over the last 50 years by almost 3% a year. And that, that's a significant number. So it's just they're not in favor right now. That's mm. that's the short answer. Makes sense. Uh, so. Kind of the last question I have on, on this topic is how how do you pick your diversification? What uh, what allocation? How, how do you really figure that one out? Well, for us, we have several models from very aggressive 
all stocks to very conservative all bonds and then all points in between. So our our model to get to the models are the financial plan, the client goals, uh, what they want to do with the money and so on. And so based on all those inputs, inputs, we say to the client, here's what we recommend for you and here's why. So it's based on fact. It's We say it all the time. It's not our opinion. Uh, we're just looking at the data. We're looking at the plan, looking at their goals. And we say, okay, based on your situation, here's the model that we're recommending. And, and that's typically how we end up with a specific model in a client portfolio. It's really based on the plan and where they want to go. And our models are going to do different things at different times. Um, you know, this past week, our our most aggressive models are soaring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but year to date, they're down the most, uh, which makes sense. And the models, the diversification for anybody, whether they do a model or not, if you're going to allocate more money to stocks, large and small, uh, you're, you'll end up making more money over time, but it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. If you allocate more money to bonds than stocks, a little more conservative and not going to make as much money over time. So our 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 game plan is to rely on the financial plans. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Financial plan and then also risk assessment because the only way to make money is make sure you hold your investments. And if your diversification, if your allocation is, is skewed to a little bit more risky than you like, then you're just going to stay up all night thinking about it and thinking about selling. So it's really important to get those financial plans, get those goals and make sure your risk is aligned with your investments to be able to kind of handle these markets and, and stay invested and really make your money as we talked about last week. Um, yeah. Well, Bill, anything else you want to talk about diversification? You want to move on to? Yeah. You know, just one last thing. Uh, and you made a great point. And, and I found over the years that if you have the right plan, the right allocation, the right investments, and they're in line with your goals, you're more likely to stay with it over time. And if you do stay with it, you'll make money. Uh, I've been working with a client uh, since the early 90s, almost 30 years we've worked together. And we did a financial plan in uh, 91. And she stayed with that plan. And 30 years later, it's still working. It's generated income for her. And she can care less about market corrections. Yeah. She can care less about chasing returns. All she knows is her plan works for her. It generates annual income. She's never going to run out of money. She's in her, her mid-90s now. And I, I tell her all the time, I wish she could talk to our other clients yeah. because <laughs> it just shows the power of following your plan, diversifying your assets, sticking with your goals, and not panicking. Mm-hmm. And she's done really well. There it is. Perfect. Well, uh, that's for diversification. Now time to move on to our intriguing issue. And what I have is, is something that's been kind of highlighted a lot in the news is the OPEC cutting their barrel production or oil production um, by around 2 million barrels of oil per day. Now, how that came about was Russia actually came to OPEC and was like, hey, our economy's suffering, we're slowing down because of the war and things of that nature. Can we cut oil in order to ensure us to get a little bit more revenue? Uh, and OPEC and the Saudis decided that that's a good idea, but they actually upped it. Russia wanted to do by 1 million barrels per day. OPEC has now decided on 2 million barrels per day. And 
there's a lot of things that go in 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 OPEC's decision and in OPEC plus, and actually they're they're underperforming right now on their metrics. So they're about three point five million dollars, uh, three point five million barrels of oil. They're underproducing. So everybody's estimating that there's going to be around not two million oils per day, uh, oil barrels per day that'll be missing from the economy, but roughly six hundred thousand to a million. Now that's that's a lot, and everybody's wondering. What's going to happen to gas prices? We saw it spike in the in the summer, and it's finally falling down, and people are excited about that, especially when they're struggling with inflation and whatnot. And and the major predictors are thinking that it's going to be a steep rise in the short term, which makes sense. But in the medium term, this is where it gets kind of intriguing. Is it's all contingent upon demand. Um, some people think that China is not going to be as um, in demand for oil. And if that happens, and if we have a global recession, then you actually might see gas prices plummet. And this worked out pretty bad for OPEC. However, if we see strong demand, if we see a resilient uh, consumer when it comes to oil um, consumption, then we might see a elongated oil price um, increase. And so that's just... That's that's where it is. OPEC has a lot of power and they've made decisions and, and it's frustrating because in this inflation environment, people are cutting costs and, and we thought we'd get a little bit of relief at the pump, but we'll see now um, it's really contingent upon demand. Yeah, that's why I hate commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, not sure where it's going to go. Um, I think the U.S. is not happy well, I know the U.S. is not happy with Saudi Arabia and OPEC doing this. Uh, and it's very frustrating that, you know, here's this this lunatic that started a war and he's frustrated because his economy yeah. is losing money. And, uh, well, if he would just stop the war, <laughs> uh, maybe his economy would do better. But, you know, when OPEC can, you know, you can turn off or turn on the spigot and, you know, control prices. Mm-hmm. It's it's rushing. I think it's not like it was in the seventies where we were so dependent on the on uh, OPEC and the Saudis. But today, you know, we're, we're pretty much energy independent. So I think it has less of an impact than like it, it makes a lot of headlines. But it, mm-hmm. I, at the end of the day, I, I don't know, and I don't think oil has really moved that much since no. they, they announced it. So the market has spoken. But it'll be interesting because even though the United States might be independent or energy um, not dependent upon OPEC, you really see it in Europe. And this is what a lot of people are projecting is the natural gas for the Europeans is going to skyrocket because they get the most from Russia. So if OPEC has already aligned themselves with Russia, it'll be an intriguing fall. But we shall see, as as we always say. But yeah, it's just it's frustrating, um, especially because OPEC has come out and said we're not in support of Russia and we haven't aligned ourselves with them. But President Biden said he's, he's extremely disappointed with the act. So, yeah, and, and here's my plug for nuclear energy. You know, if we went nuclear global, it's it's clean, it's efficient. You don't have to rely on uh, Saudi Arabia or OPEC anymore, and it 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 changes the landscape for everybody. And I would love to see a move towards nuclear. I know we're trying to do a lot with wind and solar, but it, it's just not as efficient as I think people think it is. And for me, 
uh, we should go nuclear globally and 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 really get away from the dependence on oil. That's fair. All right. Well, what do you have for us? Well, my intriguing issue is uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. Oh, yeah. uh, on a whim, Mr. Musk decided to buy Twitter at $54.20. And uh, then he tried to backtrack that. And and Twitter said, nope, we're <laughs> taking you to court. And you're buying the company at $54.20 because you signed the contract. And it's pretty ironclad. Yep. Uh, so they've been battling for quite a while, going to court. They're supposed to go to court, I think, next week or in a couple of weeks. And at the 11th hour, Mr. Musk sent uh, a letter to Twitter saying, OK, we'll buy uh, we'll buy it at $54.20 if you drop the lawsuit. And, and I don't think Twitter is dropping the lawsuit because they want to make sure other things are uh, adhered to in that lawsuit. So. Not sure what Mr. Musk wants to avoid on the stand, but it's probably pretty deep. And uh, we'll see. But that that just came out of the blue. But yeah. it's interesting because the market uh, for Twitter stock right now is at uh, $50 and roughly 50 cents. So $4 off the target price, the buy price. So there's a lot of uh, skepticism that this deal's still going to go through, mm-hmm. even though he said he would. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, good theater here for a while. <laughs> yeah. I heard that Musk lawyer said you can pay now or you can pay later. And he was like, well, I'd rather pay now. Uh, but that, that brings up another topic of interest that I've been thinking about. So like with Activision being bought out by Microsoft and these companies being bought out and the market, the buy price is not the market price. And so what do you do as an investor when there's a skeptical, um, buyout uh do you take advantage of it like what what really are, are things that you see that are like okay this is a good investment rather than okay this is a poor decision yeah i think it's a great way to speculate so mm-hmm. on activision you have almost 20 dollars of upside yeah. you know because the stock's trading at whatever it is 74 75 and the buyout price is 95 and on uh, twitter you have four dollars of upside and more often than not, deals go through. It might take some time, but it's a good way to, to it's a good speculation. And, you know, if it doesn't go down, if it doesn't go through, you know, those stocks are going to fall uh, probably a lot. But it's a good binary bet, in my opinion, that you take advantage of it. And because, uh, again, more often than not, it goes through. This happened. Well, it happens more often than not. But several years ago, Budweiser was being acquired and there was a a pretty good spread between the market price and the buyout price. And I said, I think this thing's going to go through. So we bought some Budweiser for clients and sure enough, we were rewarded and it, it, uh, I can't think of a time where a merger really didn't work. Mm. And so if you're looking to speculate, you know, look at mergers where's that, that, uh, our potential mergers, or announce mergers where there's that spread, you, you could probably make a few dollars. Absolutely. However, I must put the disclaimer, do your own research. <laughs> We're not giving investment advice. Uh, it's just a, a conversation topic. So make sure you do your own homework. Great. All right, Bill, what do you want to leave with our listeners? What's your final thought? 
as always, uh, stick to your plan, follow your goals, think long terms. Uh, markets always rebound, and I'm sure we'll look back on this in one, two, five, 20 years from now saying, gosh, that was a great buying opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just doesn't look like it at the time. How about for you? Just uh, this is where you make your money, right? We, we talked about buying and holding uh, last week, and, and the market rallied to 5% or 4% now that it's up this week. So you just never know when those crazy markets are going to just uprise and uptick. So you just got to stay invested for the long haul. You just never know. Amen. All righty. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, parrotwealth.com, where you can learn more about everything we have to offer at Parrot Wealth Management. That's our view from the perch. See y'all next week.